Oh, happy Mother's Day. Well, I guess you don't say it to me. So, yeah, happy Mother's Day. If I could, thank you, Luke. Um, uh, if I could, could I have our mothers of the church, could you guys stand up where you're at? We want to pray over you. and You're not standing up. You're going to pray over you as a church. Um, why I wanted to pray over you is I know your family is honoring you uh, uh, all day. Um, but we as a church want to pray over you. We want to speak blessing over you. Um, you are our church family. Um, you have imparted so much to so many people, not just your family. And you will continue to do that. And so we just want to say uh, thank you for just being um, who God has made you to be and following in the path that he's called you to be in. So would the church, in, in, in the same spirit, can we just pray over our mothers of the church? God, we thank you for these women. God, we thank you for their hearts. God, we thank you the, the way you have uniquely conditioned a mother uh, for their child. And God, I just thank you for the love and the time and the, and the talent and... And God, everything that they've poured into their kids and even grandchildren, and God, we just thank you that that is an, uh, it seems like an endless well of love like yours. And so God, as today, as maybe s some mothers just need a little, I think, extra love today and to know that they have so many who look to them and look up to them. It can feel like a thankless job, but God, we just know that you know what they do, um, how they raise their children, who they are, and the love that you have in their heart that um, you have put inside of them for their children. So God, I ask that today that not one mother leaves this church feeling less but only more in your eyes, God, for you. They are continuing what you have called us to do and to look after those and to point them in the right direction and to train our children up in the way that they should go. And God, I just, uh, we as a church speak blessing over them, blessing over them, God, energy, time, peace, patience, kindness, love over our mothers today, God. So we are thankful for them, God, and we know that you um, continually guide them and walk them um, in, in raising their children and giving love in the spirit. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, moms. We appreciate you so, so much. If you could, just to kind of prepare, we're going to continue. It's our second week of the book of Acts. Um, and if you want to, you can open up to Acts chapter 1, or sorry, 2. We covered Acts chapter 1 last week, but Acts chapter 2 is so detailed. I was very, very, very optimistic that I could cover the entire chapter of chapter 2, but then I was sadly, sadly mistaken that I'm only getting to 12 verses, so we're only going to go 12 verses today because if we do not... Do not get the understanding of what the significance of chapter 2 means to the rest of the book of Acts. You might miss what the book of Acts is really about. Why is Luke detailing this information? Who is the champion of the book of Acts? Um, before we move on, I did forget to say that, moms, I, 
I was talking to a mom outside, and we were talking about minivans, and which is what we do. And I was letting the, her know that, like, listen, I know you don't want a minivan, but you don't realize how amazing a minivan is. Moms, do I, do, do you feel me? Do you do, no? Moms. I know everybody wants to get a minivan, but I have cleared all the seats out of my minivan. I put my paddleboard in it. I put, I've taken the minivan. I put my bikes in it. It's amazing. And so, listen, I just wanted to say another thing that I think moms have been keeping a secret is the minivan. Okay, so you're open to your Bibles. What we're going to look at in Acts chapter 2 is this. When we read chapter 1, we realized something very, very important. The disciples were with Christ for 40 days. They were waiting for, uh, at some point, like when we're following Christ, listening to Christ, he is sharing and expanding their minds and their hearts about the gospel and about the history of the gospel throughout the Old Testament and why it mattered that Christ came. But then all of a sudden Christ leaves. And he says something to them that's very important. He says, I am going to send you a helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And John baptized with water, but I will baptize in the Spirit. And so they're waiting. They're huddled up. Christ gave them the mission statement. They know what to do, and they know what they are about, the kingdom. And they know who they represent. But these are just people. Man, when I look at it in light of from chapter 1 to chapter 2, you see a significant change in the, in, in the ministry of the church. There are 120 regular people. And they are f- listening to Christ, hearing Christ. They're excited about the resurrected Christ. But I don't know if it wasn't for chapter 2 that the church would even have exploded because they would have gone off of, this is what I saw, this is what I experienced. But something radical happens in chapter 2 that has changed the very direction of the church itself. It actually it established the church itself. And in chapter 2, we're going to see the arrival of the Holy Spirit. We would call this the arrival of the church age. This is when the church becomes the church. The arrival of the Holy Spirit. We picked up with 120 people ultimately waiting and believing in something that they didn't understand and they didn't know. And they waited 10 days until the day of Pentecost, which we'll get in and why that's so significant. Jesus' ministry, think about this if you go back, his ministry began when, when he was baptized and the Spirit came upon Jesus. What was the symbol of the Spirit? This dove. What does the dove represent? Peace. Christ came to bring peace between you and God. But then the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's a very different sign that happens that descends upon their head, and it is a flame of a tongue. Now, we can look at this a lot of different ways, but if you look at the symbolism, one is a bringer of peace, And the other is a flame that's above our head, commissioned by the Spirit to do what? To be witnesses. Speak the truth. Share the gospel. And to be witnesses to the world. You can make that little connection there. And it's kind of nice to remember that. That that tongue of fire was their call and commission to be witnesses. I titled this message, The Inauguration. Now, 
I don't watch presidential inaugurations. You know, I'm, I'm not one into that. I, I, I just, I just uh, don't want to hear uh, the speech. Um, it doesn't matter who. And, but the funny thing is, is you have to realize this inauguration of, of the church, of the spirit within the church, the leader of the church is the spirit. And he is inaugurated on this day on Pentecost. No one voted for him. You must remember this. No one voted for the Holy Spirit to run the church. He runs the church. No one voted that he would come in and empower the church. He doesn't. No one had a say. They just received. If you think of a church, I believe every church is a spirit-run, spirit-led church because it's the very work of the Holy Spirit. It's what he does. And we, we, we celebrate this moment, but it really was the moment the Holy Spirit came and ran the functioning of the church, the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit organizes and runs the church of Christ. I read that in a commentary, and I really liked it because it was super simple. The Holy Spirit organizes and runs the functioning of the church, the body of Christ, and builds it up. This is why 120 people couldn't have done what the gospel has done throughout the, the, the thousands of years and, and the billions of people. This is why the church is on the move. This is why the church is in power to do what it does. It's the Holy Spirit. I think when we look at it, we go, okay, by the Spirit, and I was trying to think about it for Soundhouse Church because we are part of the move of the Holy Spirit. So at Soundhouse Church, when we worship, it's through the working of the Holy Spirit. When we minister, it's through the working of the Holy Spirit. When we teach, it's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit working through us. When we preach, when we govern as elders, it's through the working of the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. And when we lead as a staff, as a team, or anybody leading, we're leading through the work of the Holy Spirit. When we witness, it's through the work of the Holy Spirit. When we encourage, when we pray, when we walk, when we live, are you getting the idea? You are surrounded by the Spirit, driven by the Spirit. The church is literally the embodiment of the work of the Spirit on earth. This is why the church is so important. This is why the church matters so much. <clears throat> I was calling some people after the uh, pandemic started to lighten up. And people that, and I'm not putting anyone on blast here. I, I was just saying like, hey man, where have you been? It's like, oh yeah, yeah, we probably ought to get back into church. Now, I was not concerned about their attendance record. I was concerned about what they were missing out on being a part of the move of the church. I was concerned about what they were getting in a habit of missing out on what God is literally doing through the church, being a part of his work. Not that it's only through the church, but there's something about the church that God established that he wants to do something through significantly. And it's only by a body of believers within the church as one doing the work of the spirit that we will see what God is doing on this earth. But when I think about it, like, think, think about this. And you say, well, I don't know when the Spirit is. I don't feel the Spirit. Have you ever been with a coworker or somebody or a family member, and you just feel like the words coming effortlessly? Have you ever had that? 
Have you ever felt it where it's like, I don't know how, but I am giving some good stuff here. Like, I don't normally do this, but I'm that's the work of the Spirit. Have you ever been discipling someone and God just kind of tunes your heart to actually to feel what's going on and to experience like what, what's happening with them? And then a word of guidance and direction, probably, hopefully through Scripture, that's the work of the Spirit. Have you ever been praying and you're just praying. And it's not, it's not just a general prayer of like, God bless me, thank you for this food. Thank you. I'm talking about praying and you're just like, God, I need you now. I need to, I need to know you are in me, filling me. I, I, need, to, I need you, God. And you, you experience something. I'm not talking about maybe your feelings. I'm talking about just you experience like this anchoring into your faith, a trusting that you walk out of that prayer time of like more hopeful, more optimistic, and more on mission than you were before you entered into that prayer. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. How about when you're dealing with somebody? I had something that happened the other day. I was confessing to the elders that I acted out of character. I was so embarrassed of just, I just react. It's traffic, okay? Just let me just get out of the way. And I was so annoyed that somebody honked at me because I like to honk at people, but no one can honk at me. And, and I feel I'm educating people, and I don't like it when I'm being educated. And so I was, I, I, I like literally like tried to figure out who was honking at me, and I pointed, and then this person went like, no, it wasn't me. And I pointed at this other person, and I was like, I stopped by the reaction, and I thought, what am I, I'm terrorizing these moms at pickup. I was out of character. I was way out of character. It's not how I want to act. I, I thought about it for like days. Confessed to my family, like, oh my gosh. I confessed to the elders, like, dude, I lost it. Like, I, I, what happened to me there? The Holy Spirit is convicting me of something that that's not the witness I'm supposed to be. Not because I'm a pastor, because I'm a Christian. This is not who I want to be. Have you ever been, can you relate to me a little bit? You holy, wonderful, righteous people, right? We know, but we, 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 we are being worked on all the time, and I would say that was a wonderful work of the Holy Spirit to point to me the lack of witness that I'm establishing in my neighborhood. Man, the inauguration. I, I got one point, and then we're going to walk through Scripture. The gift, I titled it The Gift. And this is the gift to the church. The Holy Spirit is a gift to the church. It's a promise fulfilled to the church. It is the gift to the church. And here this point, and I want it to sink in before we read, is the Holy Spirit fills every believer and unites them as the church. The Holy Spirit fills every believer. We're all baptized in the Holy Spirit in salvation, surrounded, submersed, and filled at salvation. I've had people who will walk into a church and, and, and literally say these words. I don't feel like the Spirit's here. And I'm like, well, are you in a church? Yeah. Okay. Well, the, 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 the Holy Spirit fills the church, right? Yeah. And there's believers here that are filled with the Spirit and baptized in the Spirit and salvation. And that's every believer, right? Yeah. Well, then I don't know if this is necessarily a church problem maybe a you issue, and we can pray about that, right? And so I believe that the Spirit is 
over every church and at work in every church. The Bible is very explicit about it as well. And so when we come in and, and we go, I don't feel the Spirit, we have to maybe then go, why don't I feel the Spirit? Because we are all surrounded by those who are filled with the Spirit. And the, ch the, the church is the literally, the Holy Spirit is the oversight of the church. So He is with us. Let's read Acts 2. I'm going to read the whole thing and then we'll come through because it's, it's too much. It's too good to just pass right over. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, and I'll explain this in a minute, all of this, but let's read right through it. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven like a rushing wind, a sound like a rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and uh, divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Verse 4, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5, they were dwelling in Jerusalem. Their dwelling in Jerusalem were Jews, devoted men of every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together. They hear something, and the multitude of people there for Pentecost come together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own language? Parthens, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, Belonging to Crene and the visitors from Rome and both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them in our own tongue, the mighty works of God. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Well, we're going to dig into what that means and what is happening in there. I, I think it's an incredible piece of scripture. Now, We'll get into later to what all those places somewhat mean and why it was listed in there. Luke does a fantastic job of cataloging this. But when you think about it, what do we see here when we read over these passages? What do we see? We see unity. That's a function of the church, unity. We see a promise. We see it delivered. We see a fantastic, we could explain it, explosion of the Spirit only the only effect realized was through its sound, which usually accompanies the spirit, wind, fire, things like that. A filling of these disciples, a boldness that overcomes them, a supernatural display, evangelism on a scale that we have never seen. It's quite incredible. We went from 120 people in a room, hoping and praying, and then we see an explosion that takes place, a work of the Spirit. And when we finish Acts 2, you will see exactly what happened. We went from 120 to 3,000 in a day. Something was on the move. Something was changing. Something was happening big time. So let's go to verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, and they were all together in one place. Pentecost is one of three festivals that people would travel from all around the world, wherever there was a, a, a Jewish family, a community, all around the world, 
and, and that had been going on for centuries where they were being displaced and placed in different parts around the world. So that list is very important that we read. And so they're all coming in to celebrate Pentecost. Now Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. 50 days is significant, and part of the reason why everyone would come and celebrate is because one of the greatest pieces of their faith, which was the law, was being celebrated on Pentecost. 50 days after Israel exited Egypt, Moses wrote the law. It was given to him by the Spirit. And so this is very significant, why the Spirit picks Pentecost. There's all these little nuances that sometimes that we can get lost in, you know, just glazing over it, realizing, oh, he picked Pentecost for a very, very specific reason, right? Pentecost was where Moses delivered it, and we have to realize that the Holy Spirit is implying something, and we get the understanding from Jeremiah 31. It will be on the screens, but this is, Jeremiah 31 is worth reading, all of it, but I'll read a little piece of it. It says on 30, verse 31, Behold, the days are coming. Now, Jeremiah is prophesying about a new age that's coming, a new time that's going to take place. And, though, and the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like a covenant that I made with your fathers on that day uh, when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here we go. I will put my law within them. This is why Pentecost is significant. This is why it's significant what the work of the Holy Spirit does. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and teach his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, for they will know all know me. There is a separation that is happening. There is a fulfillment that is happening with the law. This impossible. The Spirit is what gave Moses the law. And it was also by the power of the Spirit that the law was fulfilled. It's by the power of the Spirit that when we read Scripture, it's revelation in our life. It's by the power of the Spirit. These aren't just words on a page. The Spirit makes them alive in our life. And it is through the law of the Scripture that we have life. I'll prove it to you. Romans 8.2 For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Pentecost was profoundly important because it was a new covenant, a new era, a new time, a new work that the Spirit was over His church that we are righteous before God through the work of Christ, and the Spirit empowers us to do the work of the ministry. When you receive salvation, it is in Christ, through the Spirit of life, that, and also fills you with the Spirit as well, as God's holy temples. Verse 3, the divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Man, oh man, do you see something happening here? We're going to get to it in a second. 
The only way I can say is the appreciation for Pentecost, the significance of this moment, is I look back, and I think it's the uh, Ashwan Dam in Egypt. In 1950, they planned on building a dam in Egypt, right, to produce power, right, hydroelectric power. By the 70s, they finished it, and what they did is they dammed off part of the Nile, or a big part of it. And they'd filled this reservoir, and they had let it fill and fill and fill, and they built these, I think it's 10 of these conductors, these turbines. And on the day of inauguration, we can almost see it like Pentecost. I like this idea of thinking about it, because in ancient Egypt, only around the Nile did people live off of the resources of the Nile, right? But there was a lot of Egypt left. But only around the Nile did they really benefit from the resources of the Nile. But on that day when they flipped the power switch on and they literally had like 10 billion kilowatts uh, every hour, it lit every city in all of Egypt. No longer just the Nile, but now this. We can think of it like that. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the Spirit moving, the Spirit working through the people of Israel, but now we see an inauguration to the Spirit's move to the world. This is what happens. It changes everything. Then we read that part, fire. Like, why the fire? You know? What's the deal with the fire? You've got to hear this. And this fire always represents, I think, a, the presence of the Spirit. You see it in the burning bush. Things like that. Second Chronicles 7, 1. As soon as Solomon had finished his prayer, he's dedicating the temple that he had built for God, and God was going to fill the temple. Listen to what happens here. He finished his prayer. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. This is why fire is important. The priests could not enter the house of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord filled the house Right? So no, no longer could they, they could not be around the glory of the Lord. But then yet something happens as we are filled with the Spirit, as the glory of the Lord rests in us. Something has changed. They were those who were under the law, unrighteous before God, couldn't stand before God. Their sin could not be in the presence of God to we see a change happening at Pentecost. And when the people of Israel saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down. This is what happens when we experience the very glory of God. They bowed down on their faces on the ground and the pavement and they worshiped and they gave thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. That is our response. And that is really their response at Pentecost. They were in awe. They recognized the power of the Spirit, the glory of God within them. A new era has begun. Fire purifies and, and, it, and it consumes. And I can see that maybe significant with our sin, consumes it. But it also lights away like the pillar of fire throughout the desert for the Israelites escaping Egypt, right? And so we look at this when we talk about this fire, and the fire in the temple in Solomon, and we see this fire over the heads of them, and it really significant, it, 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 it's an image in this scripture, but it literally is in your life. The Bible calls you a temple, a living stone of the temple. Your body is not your own, but it is God's, and His Spirit dwells in you. And so Ephesians 2, 19, 22, Paul says it so well, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, 
but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophet, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in which the whole structure, listen to these words I've underlined up here, being joined together grows into the holy temple in the Lord. And in him you are also being built together into the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. So we have the fire, and we have the temple. And so if you've ever felt like, man, God, where are you? I think you're asking the wrong question. I think maybe we're missing sight and losing sight of the fact that we are God's temple. The Spirit lives inside of us. Christ and the seed of our heart. We have been reborn, rebirthed, and we are this person who's been radicalized for God. Why, where, where are we missing this here? We maybe have forgotten. We may have fallen asleep to the reality of what is happening, but the reality is happened. When we think about the filling of the Holy Spirit, this is where I think it's important because I see the baptism of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost as the inauguration of this new church age. The church is baptized into the Holy Spirit. But then you'll see throughout Scripture where it can feel confusing when you're going, they needed to be filled with the Spirit. Or there were times where Paul, which I'll read, would say, instead of doing this, fill yourself with the Spirit. He's speaking to believers. So I always think of salvation like this. Salvation is sealed. The Bible says the Holy Spirit seals our salvation. To the lid, to the brim, nothing needed, nothing more. So when I see people constantly going, I need to get saved again, I'm like, you don't understand that you're sealed. Now, do you need to renew your mind? Do you need to change the behaviors? Have you gotten distracted? Probably so. But you're sealed. Have you lost sight of the revelation of the resurrected Christ in your life? But when it comes to the Spirit, I think that there is a little bit of a change because the Bible says that we're filled with the Spirit, right? In, in, in cases when we see God do miraculous things, I think we see an overfilling of the Spirit. But I think that we're here. And there are times... In our life, and you maybe can put yourself here, where we felt like maybe it was drained. The Spirit's effect is no different. It's just we are getting distracted. We are not putting our uh, time in the presence of God. James says it really well when he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He's speaking to believers and he's telling them, why pull away, but why not press in to remain full of the Spirit? And we will see this ebb and flow in our life. And there are times, and you know it, when you're like, I just need to be in church. I need to be present. I need to be praying more. I need to be connected with God. I need to be filled with the Spirit. I need to be filled up. And I believe it's daily where we need to continually fill this cup. And so I believe this will continually change, but I believe this will never change. Right? And so there are, that is life. This is what happens. It sometimes comes in, sometimes overflows, but it's a daily thing, but we must, must, must make sure we do not let it run dry. We must. Because it will hurt our witness. It will make us ineffective for the kingdom and we will just be distracted into something else and we will not be living out this reality that God has shaped for us and we'll be living into a previous reality of hopelessness and despair. 
I think Paul says this, you, you can either waste the filling of the Spirit, on, you can waste your cup, if you will, on needless, wasteless things, or you can be filled with the Spirit. Listen to what he says in Ephesians. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the will of the Lord is, that, uh, what the little will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't, you could put wine and put it into a million other things. Don't get distracted here. Don't waste your time here. Don't get fulfillment there. Get fulfillment through the Spirit. Don't waste your life chasing this and that and thinking that you have something that's of significance, but it's nothing. Be filled with the Spirit. And at any moment, at any time, at any time throughout the day, I would just pray this prayer. Jesus, like, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God, fill me with your Spirit. There's nothing wrong with that. We're just asking continually, fill me up, God. Fill me up. How do you refresh it and refill it? Paul says it very well right here in verse 19. We address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We sing and make it, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart and giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of the reverence of Christ. How do you, how do you refill? Get back into the very, I would say, presence, we could say it that way, the presence of God where you're spending time with God, you're refreshing, you're refilling, you're refreshing and refilling together the significance of the church, you are singing corporately, you are singing privately to God, worship to God, you are reading scripture, you are refreshing, we fill that back up for maximum capacity of the work of the Spirit through you. Maximum capacity. And I'll just finish up with these last two things here. Uh, in other tongues is very simple. When he lists this out, look at this. In verse 5, it says, Now, when they were dwelling, they heard the sound, and each one had the, 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 their own language and their tongue, and they heard it in their own native, native tongue. I'm summarizing. And, and what they heard here was very interesting because in other tongues was these other languages. Now, there are other parts in the Bible where it's not just human language. And we'll get to that later in Acts. But in this moment, this baptism of the Spirit where these tongues of fire and they're speaking in other people's languages, we see a massive evangelistic tool happening. You know how Facebook, or sorry, YouTube can translate in all these different countries at one time? This is literally what's happening. 120 people out shouting at the temple gates where thousands and thousands of people gathered around from all around the known world and they're hearing, in their own language, the great works of God. And they're going, what in the world does this mean? And then it gives an audience to Peter, which we'll read next week, to preach an incredible sermon. Two, a third of all of the book of Acts is essentially speeches or sermons. They're amazing. They, they inspire us, and they give us the language of which we preach the gospel. But they said something interesting here I don't want to move on from before we close is that they said that they're just Galileans speaking. This is weird. They're not elite. They've got that country accent. You know? How would they know our language? And how would all of them know all these different languages? What does this mean? They're just Galileans. 
I can't tell you how many t- people Chad and I run into that say, oh, I, 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 could, never, I could never disciple somebody because I, I just don't know the Bible enough or I'm not, as, I'm not as spiritual as like, you know, this person or this person. And we just laugh. We're like, oh, you're, mi- you're, you're missing the entire point. You should read this passage if you feel that way when they're scoffing and going, they're just Galileans, but these Galileans filled with the Spirit brought 3,000 people to know Christ who were mocking them prior through the Spirit. In the Spirit, you are qualified. But yeah, maybe you're unqualified, naturally. But that's the beauty of the Spirit. It's only by the work of the Spirit through the church to do the work of God through it. And all those names that were listed... I think it's fascinating because it really sets the tone for the book of Acts. In Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, this is the mission statement Jesus gave them, and to the ends of the world. Why was Rome listed in that list? Because this is where the book of Acts will finish, and this is where it's headed, to the ends of the world. And why is this so significant that the Spirit does this? Because we are not meant to keep the gospel to ourselves. Yes, it's in every language. The Bible's been translated in every language, and there are sermons in every language, but listen to me. Let's bring it down to a micro world, your world. You are called to go and preach the gospel through the Spirit to your world. All the people who speak different languages than you do as a Christian. All the, speak, all the people who choose different things than you do as a Christian. All the people who live a certain way than you do as a Christian. You're called to go and boldly proclaim the gospel. Now, you're not going to hold up a sign. Please don't. But, but there are people in your life that you know well that you can walk like Christ, model like Christ, seek to walk as much as you can, empowered through the Spirit. He will give you the words. He will help you with your actions. He will teach you like he taught me that day at pickup to transform your witness, Ryan. It's a bad witness. He will work on you. He will shape you to be the very church 